only reason, if I'm going to get on the front page, I might as well get on the front page with the word peace. But you've made yourself ridiculous. To some people, I don't care. If it, you're too good for if it what saves you're lives. You don't think you... Oh, my dear boy, you're living in a nether nether. Well, uh, you talk to You her. don't think you saved a single life. Uh, well, maybe we'll you save something in the future. Maybe didn't, it didn't do a bit of use. No, it's still gone down, so it didn't do anything. But, I mean, you don't equate uh, the civil war that's look, going on listen, in Nigeria with that. And you, then talk about, well, this is my form of protest well, because look, people in anti-war campaigns are too serious. Yes. And they get battered. What do you know about a protest movement anyway? I know a lot it's about it. It's a lot human. more than sending your chauffeur in your car back to Buckingham Palace. You're just a snob about it. The only way You're to make... Fake. I mean, I, I know mean. in England it's it's kind of smart not everything to be too serious about everything. Everything needs a smile, you know. I see. For instance, even if... The, the Pinkville Massacre, ha, ha, ha. Can't you give up something else that would mean a little bit more? It doesn't, it's not the sacrifice. You can't get that into your head, can you? You've stated a half a dozen times the MBE is irrelevant. I agree. It was no sacrifice to get rid of the MBE because it was an embarrassment. Then what kind of a protest was, did you make? You said, I don't know much did about an Nigeria. advertising campaign for peace. Very Can you understand one. that? No, I can't. A very big advertising campaign for peace. I think it's such a vulgar peace. and self-aggrandizing. Well, you think it's... Do you want nice middle-class gestures for peace Maybe. and intellectual manifestos in written by a lot of half-witted intellectuals and nobody reads them? Oh. That's the trouble with the peace movement. Well, it just seems a nether netherland. I mean, I can't think of anyone who seems more remote from well, the ugliness of what's Sunday. happening than you. Well, I, hope I do see you getting up on a Tuesday morning and thinking, let's see, what should we do today and what war is going well, on? Well, that's your imagination, you know, really. I mean, <laughs> you know, you carry on. You you. Make, why don't you make a film on it, at it? I'm someone who admired you very much. Well, I'm you sorry know, you liked you the old mop tops, dear, and you thought it was, you know, it was very satirical well, and witty and you liked Hard Day's Night, love, but I've grown up, but you obviously haven't. Have you? Yes, folks. What have you grown up to? No, 29. Yes, yes. How is Greece? That's beautiful. We did, did a nice war protest on the army TV while we were there. By the way, you know. I suppose you didn't like us going to Greece, eh? You think you shouldn't go to a fascist no. country like Greece, and but it's all right to live in a fascist country like Britain or America, is it? I think America is a good place to live right now because, I mean, if you were interested or, or committed and not too cowardly, you might conceivably make a difference by what you did. That's one of the... Well, we've reasons. been trying to go to America to do something for the last seven or eight months, oh, but, but I can't get in. Oh, yes, we'll turn it... They take it too seriously. Uh, you don't understand how they protest, my dear. They don't... Uh, they listen, will you tell me, what were they singing at the moratorium? Which, which, I mean, the moratorium, the, the, it's the, the, throughout the, the nation. The one here, the, the, the recent big one, they were singing Give Me a Chance, you know. A song of yours, probably. Uh, well, yes, and it was written specifically out. for them. Where are we, and what is this, and what have you have to do with the moratorium? So they sang one of your songs. Well, if you Great can, song, if you sure, but is that all you can say about that? The moratorium? You were saying that in America they're so serious about the protest movement. Yes, they are. But they were so flippant that they were singing a happy-go-lucky song, which happens to be one I wrote, and I'm glad they sang it. And when I get there, I'll sing it with them, when I get in. And that was a message from me to America or to anywhere, that I used my songwriting ability to write a song that we could all sing together. And I'm proud that they sang it at the moratorium. I wouldn't have cared if they'd sang, we, can o we Shall Overcome. But it just so happens they sang that, and I'm proud of it. And I'll be glad to go there and sing with them. Make it jolly. 
I will make it jolly. Yes, yes, you know, we have to make it jolly. Why? We can't all afford to be neurotic. Maybe we might stop the war. By being jolly? Yes, yes, because the thing is, when you're happy and when you're smiling, you don't want to kill somebody, do you? You know, it's when you're very serious you start to think about violence and death and killing. I mean, have you ever seen a person, a person killing somebody with a smile on his face and being happy? No, killers are unhappy people. And they're violent because they're so unhappy and so damn serious. Mrs. Did, Lennon, we're boring each other, occur? so I'll go away quietly. See you about that? I mean... Thank you. Goodbye. Well, I think that's what you wanted. But the last point was a good point, and she didn't want to respond she to it. She didn't need anything. Millions of people mourned the tragic death of John Lennon today. The young and the middle-aged shared a sense of grief over the inexplicable slaying of Lennon, murdered by a young man who'd been a fan of Lennon and the Beatles for the last 15 years. The killing took place last night as Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, were entering their Manhattan apartment house called the Dakota. Crowds gathered soon after and many just stayed outside. Stephen Fraser reports. They kept a vigil all day, making a shrine of the Dakota, where John Lennon and his wife Yoko Ono owned five apartments. Some mourners brought bouquets. Former Beatle Ringo Starr flew from Europe to console Lennon's wife and their five-year-old son. The crowd stood just a few feet from the archway near where Lennon was shot. Witnesses said a gunman followed the Lennons as they got out of a limousine and walked past the Dakota's huge iron gate. This individual, uh, Mr. Chapman, came up behind him and called to him, Mr. Lennon, as he arrived at that doorway. And then in a combat stance, he fired, he emptied the Charter Arms 38 caliber gun that he had with him and uh, shot John Lennon. Lennon died before police could get him to a hospital one mile away. His attacker made no attempt to flee. He was arrested at the Dakota and was moved under heavy guard because of fears for his safety. Police say he is Mark David Chapman, 25, who came to New York a week ago. He stayed at a YMCA and had been asking questions about Lennon. The New York Daily News has a picture made six hours before the shooting, which shows Lennon autographing the album cover of his latest recording for Chapman, who had waited outside Lennon's home. Chapman entered no plea when he was charged with Lennon's murder late today. He was sent to a hospital for psychiatric examination and will be watched around the clock in case he tries to commit suicide. An assistant district attorney told the court Chapman borrowed a large amount of money and came to New York with the sole intention of killing John Lennon. Stephen Frazier, NBC News, New York. As soon as you're born, they make you feel small. By giving you no time instead of it all. Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all. working-class hero is something to be a working-class hero is something to be yeah okay well um welcome to our second episode of uh, deep politics and rock and roll i'm john diss i'm here with 
Anthony Castillo. Howdy, of, everybody. Uh, so motorcade. <laughs> yeah, we we flagged that dead horse in the in the first deal, but uh, uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. and 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 John Dist of the of the discontents. <laughs> That's right. Named by you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I thank you for that. My, I like it. Yeah. My friend uh, BC named named me John Dist for our band Bully, and it was mm-hmm. for like a fake. Uh, photo session we did before we had a band and we just came up with fake names for everybody and that was mine and I really liked it and I used it in the band and when the band broke up I just kept using it um, and then you came up with a name for the band <laughs> John Dist and the Discontent <laughs> like, I have no original ideas <laughs> oh I beg you differ no, uh, American University is very very, very original so, uh, oh, thanks. But the subject of this episode is is uh, well, we had John Lennon's 80th birthday, and it just hit me that there would be a perfect uh, topic for us to talk about. I tried to rush it, but I only gave you like a day or something, and we decided to do it later. So we're yeah. sort of sandwiching this episode between his 80th birthday and the 40th anniversary of his. Death, which was um, December eighth, nineteen eighty. Wow! And uh, it's kind of interesting, both sort of milestones, because he was forty when he was killed. Right. And um, I don't know. You know, for me, it's amazing because I got into politics because when I was in college, I started to read about. Um, the composer Dmitry Shostakovich and mm-hmm. his relationship with Stalin and how he was controlled, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't controlled, but he was, um, he was, he was, uh, artists all around him were being killed for, you know, being against the people. And he was such a, like an anti-authoritarian force that he just took a chance and made every piece of music he wrote an anti-Stalin piece and and no one knew it you know um Stalin didn't know it he was like mocking Stalin in his music um he did a ninth symphony that was just like a was, you know Stalin wanted his ninth symphony cuz he was this guy was on the cover of Time magazine I mean he was the the, the most famous composer alive and um he uh Stalin wanted a you know a glorious ninth symphony after World War Two and uh he gave him like this dinky little sort of like this 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 symphony that wasn't really even a symphony. It was just like sort of you know, people people say it's not even a real symphony. It's just like really sarcastic and kind of childish sounding and goofy. Um and he, you know, he just, they say like he, he was given Stalin the finger in the pocket all the time. Like everything he did was like a fuck you.
and uh, and yet at the same time he was terrified that he was going to be killed any day. He had his bag packed. He was ready to he was ready to be taken in. Like he would sit there at night with his bag packed, just waiting for them to come and get him because he would hear them. You know, he would hear them go to his neighbors and take them and take them away. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a famous story about when he was. Um, he was called in and they said, uh, we want to ask you about the plot to kill, uh, to assassinate, you know, Stalin. And he said, I don't know. They said, you go home and you think about it. You come back tomorrow. And he came back the next day thinking that was it, you know, and the guy who had told him to come back had himself been taken away and assassinated. So (laughs) just crazy story. So like I, I, I read a handful of books about it. I read his memoir a few times. And so I just had this, like, I'd internalized this, this idea of, of, you know, uh, a musician and the leadership being against the musician and threatening their lives and killing them and stuff. And I never thought in a million years that it would happen in America, you know, then I started to learn about, you know, I think, you know, I have a theory that, Shostakovich wrote a memoir in the 70s and leaked it to the West to be published after his death. And in that book, he tells all these stories, you know, and the West, we all said that it was a a hoax. And I, for some reason, they didn't want us to know about it. And after after the the Soviet Union fell, his family came out and said, this is all true. It's real. It's not a hoax, you know. And so I always wondered also, like, why, why it was, why it was um, kept, I mean, it was available, but everybody said it was a hoax. Some of it was like people spent their careers writing about his music as if it was abstract. And so you had all these people who made, all these musicologists built careers being Shostakovich experts, right? (laughs) Before that book was ever written. So they just analyzed his music like any other modern composer which was all based on like math and you know mm-hmm. stuff like that and, and and it was like it just blew them all out of the water so that's part of it but i still have a theory because that's what taught me about totalitarianism and so mm-hmm. i got into politics because i started to see with the bush administration things happening that happened under stalin and a similar sort of thing happening so it just like the more I learned, the more I realized we were a lot like the Soviet Union, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, I was learning about JFK and all this stuff. And then like, at some point I, I found this book about Lenin and it was like, who killed John Lennon by Fenton Bressler. And it was just like, fuck, they fucking killed John Lennon, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I have no doubt based on, you know, what I've read and, everything that I've learned over the years, it's like, and it's mind blowing to me. Like, you know, I never in a million years thought that that would have been the case, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the, the weird thing about uh, that is that, well, you, you said it, you know, like um, the similarities between totalitarian states and, and the United States, which has to keep a veneer of democratic. Yeah you know, I don't want to window dressing to what's really going on when, you know, 
you know, like it can't happen here, but it is happening here. Now we live yeah. in a surveillance state. And, and the odd thing about, you're right, exactly. And, you know, and war is peace, you know, it's, it's Orwell come, come to, come to fruition. And, uh, and the interesting thing too, when I think about John Lennon getting killed, um, imagine it already been out since 1971. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like the cat was kind of out of the bag, you know? Uh, yeah. I, what were they afraid of? Like he was going to, he was going to write imagine two, <laughs> you know, it's kind of well, hard to, it's kind of hard to top, you know, um, uh, you know, Orson Welles had that problem when, you know, when when you release Citizen Kane as your first movie, you know, and 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 then John Lennon, I mean, he wrote the ultimate manifesto of, of you know, peace on the planet. Um, thanks a, a lot with, to Yoko for the lyric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, I mean, it was already out. I, I, but you know, I guess. Uh, I well, I have I have a lot to say about that topic. We can start out with this quote from May Brussel. Um, sure. She she wrote in this interview. Um, this this interview was done in uh, July, done on July first, nineteen eighty one. Mm-hmm. So it's like a few months after his death. Um, the the interviewer was. Uh, Tom Davis. Do you know who that is? I'm not sure. No, not, not Anyway, in answer to his first question, part of her, um, you know, which is like, what would be the motive? Um, mm-hmm. She, part of her answer is, John Lennon was a spiritual force. He was a giant like Gandhi, a man who wrote about peace and brotherly love. He taught an entire generation to think for themselves and to challenge authority. Lennon and the Beatles songs shout out the inequalities, life, and the message of change. Change is a threat to the longtime status quo that Reagan's team exemplified. Um, So I'll just go on a little more. Uh, On my weekly radio broadcast of December 7th, so it's the night before the day before the night before his death, I stated that the old assassination teams are coming back into power. The very people responsible for covering up the murders of President Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, for Watergate, Koreagate, and the kidnapping and murder of Howard Hughes, and for hundreds of other deaths had only six weeks before they would again be removing or silencing those voices over opposition to their policies. Lennon was coming out once more. His album was cut. He was preparing to be part of the world, a world which was a worse place since the time he had withdrawn with his family. It was a sure bet Lennon would react and become a social activist again. That was the threat. Lennon realized that there was danger coming back into public view. He took that dangerous chance and we all lost. Yeah, I, I can I can see it. And there, I skipped the first part, but she also says, um, six weeks after Lenin's death, Ronald Reagan would become president. Reagan and his soon-to-be-appointed cabinet were prepared to build up the Pentagon war machine and increase the potential for war against the USSR. The first strike would fall on small countries like El Salvador and Guatemala. 
Lenin alone was the only man, even without his fellow Beatles, who had the ability to draw out one million anti-war protesters in any given city within 24 hours if he opposed those war policies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, okay, I can see that because, yeah, that's, I mean, you look at the things today, I mean, there, there is no anti-war movement, you know. No. I, we don't have any consequence, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, like, uh, like, uh, um, Assange said that there's Jimmy Dore and no one else. <laughs> like, yeah. Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald. What did he say? I don't know. He named maybe one other person. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, and to me, it's like the most important. That is the most important thing is is being against war and uh, yeah, and uh, imperialism, uh, colonialism, whatever you want to call. It. I mean, just just intervention outside of your borders is just just has to stop. It's just. That's fundamental to anything. I mean, you, you can't have a. I mean, Martin Luther King talked about that. You can't have a, you know, a constructive domestic policy at the same time when you're bombing innocent women and children in in a foreign land. You know, it's it's yeah. impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Well. Um, uh, yeah. Which is which was. You know, when I think about. John Lennon and I think about like the the wars over billboards that they had in um in uh, Times Square and, mm-hmm. and that was back when New York was still, you know, still seedy and fun, you know. <laughs> and, right. And, and they they had that and and the whole bed in thing when they were in Canada. They put those billboards all over the world though, right? Yes, they did. And they were in different they were in different lot every language. Yeah. Exactly, different languages, and uh, um, you know, and and then the whole bed in thing with uh, you know, give peace a chance, and I mean, yeah. it's brilliant theater. We don't have that kind of theater anymore. We don't have that. We don't, I know, man. We don't have that kind of constructive Abby Hoffman, John Lennon, Yoko Ono kind of um, trickster sort of creativeness outside of maybe Code Pink, you know. And it, right. And, it, yeah. And and they're and they're just in Code Pink. As I mean, it, God, I, you know, I, those women are amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I just wish they had a, a, had more of a platform. You know, now the news media yeah. just uh, news media doesn't even have to lie. Even though even though the news media, corporate media, does lie, they they just mm-hmm. lie by omission. They just don't yeah. cover it. You know, here, Medea Benjamin made another scene in front of some, you know, pro-war asshole, which should be, you know, major news. But, of course, they just lie by omission. Just don't just don't cover it. Just don't talk about it. Yeah, I know. Or if they do, they make fun of her and make her look stupid. Yeah, yeah. Another example of, um, you know, or, or a good example of, something that he did was a John Sinclair concert, um, yes. which was almost was like to the day, like two days, like his death was on December 8th, 1980. This was uh, December 10th, 1971. They did mm-hmm. a concert for John Sinclair. He was arrested for having two joints and he was mm-hmm. given like 10 years or something. What, what was it? Mm-hmm. 
10 years in prison for the possession of two marijuana cigarettes, right? So they gave this concert. John Lennon was there singing. He wrote a song, like, about it, right? Mm -hmm. Let him... And and shortly after the event, Sinclair was released. So you can say, I don't know, he was the most, you know, high-profile guy who performed there. Yeah. Pretty amazing. It ain't fair. Yeah, yeah, the well, Sinclair was the White Panthers, and then the, and of course him uh, doing all that cool stuff with the MC5, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know too much about him. Oh yeah, yeah, Michigan, Michigan guy. Being it's my home state, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that stuff is great. Right. Yeah, the, the the whole Sinclair and the MC5. Yeah. Uh, so the the movie that you know the guy who who made the film, I guess, the John Lennon versus the, or the U.S. Well, versus John Lennon. I, I don't know him personally or anything. I mean, I've, I've seen him walking when I used to volunteer light years ago at KPFK. Um, yeah, John Wiener. Uh, yeah, he wrote the wrote a book about Lennon and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was his deal. But uh, no, I don't. You know, I don't. I can't walk up to him and say howdy or anything like that. But yeah, uh, I, although you I, probably would because you're pretty good at that. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, he, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty mainstream guy, pretty you know corporate Democrat, Nation Magazine yeah. kind of guy. But um, but you know the movie was good. I I, I saw it. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I think it really like shows what led up to the end of you know his life like it it start, i was reading about it. i mean i watched it recently but i was reading about it t- today and they're, they're talking about how the the 72 election was going to be the first election where 18 year olds had the right to vote mm-hmm. and it was nixon right so lennon was like thinking how how could he use his power as a celebrity to get young people into the political process and so they had an idea for a, a tour um, to mobilize these new kids to vote against the Nixon administration. And they were going to follow his campaign stops across the country, concluding with right. a three-day festival in Miami where the Republican National Convention would be taking place. Right. Um, but the FBI was tapping his phones and, and following him around. And as mm-hmm. in the movie, is like he knew they were there. They were making their presence known. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he... He backed out of it because he, in the movie, Yoko says they feared for their lives, mm-hmm. which, you know, they fear for their lives. So it's not really that much of a stretch that they would have done something to him, you know. And, mm-hmm. and Senator, in, in response to this also, uh, it was Strom Thurmond who mm-hmm. uh, oh, had yeah. the idea. He wrote a letter to, to Nixon and um, he had the idea of, uh, having his visa terminated to solve mm-hmm. that issue, 
So they, yeah, they yeah. went after him. Yeah, leave it leave it up to the to the white racist segregationist uh, senator to come up with the you know the the, <laughs> the, yeah. the best worst idea possible, right? For, in their mind, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, they 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 used a 1968 conviction for marijuana possession is mm-hmm. the reason. Now, was that was that conviction something that was done in England or here? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't remember. Because yeah. he talked about in the film, he talks about a party where like Mick Jagger got arrested and stuff, and um, oh, he yeah. said they were planting stuff on people. Oh, that's right. I kind of now I'm kind of remember. I think that might have been England. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that sounds familiar now. Um, but you know that, that I mean that leads to a bigger issue. I mean, God, I, you know, okay, the war on drugs. We know that the Nixon administration created so they could clamp down on people they knew hated them, people of color, black communities, and young people. So they figure if they make their party favors illegal, then uh, they can put them in jail. And minimalize them, you know, or, you know, or marginalize them, and uh, you know that was the whole purpose of the drug war. And here we are with how many states? Almost, literally, almost half the country has legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, yeah. You know, in a, a few states like Arizona, it's still only medical. But after this election next week, that'll be uh, legal as far as recreational too, because they'll pass that. Um, yeah, I got half the states, but still, it's on the, you know, uh, controlled substance, you know, uh, illegal substances list. I mean, oh God, you know, yeah, like we're, Obama we're still was still fighting. going after people, right, from the federal perspective, like yeah, yeah I mean, it's starting to be legalized. Yeah, we, I mean, we have to really change this. It's just ridiculous. It's you know, and I don't even smoke weed at all. I never have. But I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous at this point in time. We know everything about it, the science. We already know you can't die from it, can't overdose. You know, you, know, you don't get hooked on it. You know, you, the worst thing that happens, you eat you eat too many Twinkies. You know, <laughs> you, can, uh, you, yeah. you can you can operate heavy machinery on it. You know, you can. Yeah, it's just it's. Ugh. Uh, it's infuriating um, why it's not. Legal, but. He he did this Newtopia thing in response to uh, uh, their what they did to him um, on April Fool's Day, 1973. He announced the formation of a Newtopia, a conceptual country with no land, no boundaries, no passports, only people. Citizenship was granted by declaration of your awareness to Newtopia, and all citizens were granted ambassadorship. Therefore, they were entitled to diplomatic immunity. So he was being absurdist, but right. um, I guess uh, they still they I don't I'm not sure what they're trying to say here, but um, they didn't stop going after him even after Nixon won. Well, I think that's what that's because. Well, I remember in them in that in the in the the documentary that uh even through the change of administrations um, bureaucrats bean counters or whatever just 
just bureaucrats, they're going to keep doing their job no matter what, you know, because okay. there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's literally thousands of people that keep their jobs from one administration to another, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. You know, there's these entrenched bureaucrats and they're just going to keep plugging along and keep doing their job. And whether somebody tells them to, until somebody were to tell them, hey, you can back off of this now, you know, they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, and, uh, yeah. but that's a great idea. See, just what you, what you described that he was, he was thinking of, I mean, that just shows the creativity of, of this mm-hmm. guy's mind. And, yeah. and it's also, you know, the, the times of, you know, growing up in the 60s and then in the 70s when there was still real hope, like there was really a chance that maybe things could change, not this yeah. fake Obama hope and change crap, but there was yeah. really hope, like you really felt like there's a possibility like we might be able to change things and god i would hate to be a kid growing up today when that's just gone yeah it it's god it's just so bleak uh but in those times the 60s and uh early 70s there was like a real a real spark of 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 possibility mm-hmm. and just just been it completely extinguished you know and, uh, yeah and that's how they do it man <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah yeah that not only ends you know to extinguish lenin's voice but it also i'm sure people know i mean i'm sure there are i'm sure that it's, it's kind of i mean i don't know there's got to be a reason why people don't do things like that anymore you know, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, like the Kennedy assassination, you know, like what, what, um, uh, what's the comedian Bill, um, Bill Hicks says about, uh, mm-hmm. presence, yeah, yeah, they, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the, they show you the grassy knoll video, but from mm-hmm. different angles that you've never seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing, man. Like, mm. Whether they know it for sure or not, I mean, it's sort of like implied. And I don't know, man. But um, I well, guess it was it was it was Nixon's resignation that ended it. And, mm-hmm, and right. He got it. He got his green card like eight months later. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, and the people were working behind the scenes, and he thanked all the fans and stuff for you know working on his behalf. A lot of artists wrote letters too on his behalf. Like yeah. Bob Dylan. Words are like in this rain into a paper cup they slither wildly as they slip away across the universe pools of sorrow waves of joy all drifting through my open mind kissing and caressing me Nothing's gonna change my world.
So anyway, yeah, let's yeah. talk about music. Yeah, because this topic really is the perfect melding of what you envision this pod to be of uh, deep state yeah. politics and and rock and roll. Um, yeah. And I mean, let's just—I mean, we got to say it. I mean, even though it's funny, even though I might want to, when I think of bands of that era, I might want to hear the Who or the Kinks mm-hmm. or the Move more than I want to hear the Beatles. Even though when I play Move songs, I think, wow, that's really Beatlesque. Let's just, we got to get it. We just have to say, yes, whether they, you crave hearing them or not, or whether you're burned out on hearing them or not, the, the Beatles, I mean, they they were the greatest band of all time, period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, I mean, they're the reasons that, you know, guys want to still have bangs in, in their middle age. You know, <laughs> like, right. it, you know uh, with, without the Beatles, what what would, where would there have ever been an oasis, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or, or a lot of bands. I mean, yeah, exactly. Or a stone roses God. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So the Beatles, yeah, they, they were amazing. And, and, and even though John Lennon, hands down was the best lyricist of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Paul McCartney was the most like, he had the, 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 the ear for the commercial hook, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Harrison, man, when you're, if you're a guitar player, God damn it. Could that guy write some guitar riffs? Oh my yeah. God. And man. great songs too. Yeah, he had amazing songs. I love his melodies, probably the best. And mm-hmm. then the riffs, I mean, just guitar riffs are just timeless. Mm-hmm. Man, I, yeah, so I, even though, like, I'm not, like, the spiritual guru guy, mm-hmm. I mean, I always did gravitate to Harrison's just because of the great guitar riffs and, and just melodies were just incredible. But Lennon's lyrics... Yeah. I mean, we're just pretty, pretty bulletproof, you know. And and right. when I when I think of like, um, uh, I mean, think of all the great political songs, either Beatles or solo. You know, you got "Power to the People," "Just Give Peace a Chance," which we mentioned. You know, like the the whole bed in thing. Imagine, mm-hmm. which of course is the quintessential manifesto anthem of humanity, probably. And right. uh, working working class hero, um, yeah, give peace a chance, but you know, revolution. But give me some truth. I, yes, give me some truth. Absolutely. Where he calls out Nixon in that one, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, uh, dude, that's like Chostakovich right there. Like, you know, like. Like th- Nixon was aware of him. Nixon was going after him, and he's saying "fuck you" in his songs. But he's doing it. He doesn't have to do it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Or he thinks he doesn't have to do it uh, with his hand in his pocket, like Shostakovich. He just does it straight out.
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and well, also, didn't Shostakovich come up with really creative uh, um, excuses for the music he was writing? Yeah, he... Yeah, because he couldn't come tell he couldn't tell the truth because he knew the consequences. But did yeah. wasn't he very creative about how he would explain what the music was actually saying? Yeah, he <laughs> would name it like after the revolution and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he people would think like like after the siege of Leningrad was it Leningrad? The Nazis mm-hmm. had it surrounded. You know, they survived that. He wrote a symphony after that, and you know he. Everybody thought it was against the Nazis, like portraying the evil of the Nazis. But he, you know, in his memoir, he said that symphony was also talking about the, you know, the evil that Stalin was doing to us. And he said, you know, Stalin killed Leningrad before, uh, you know, the Nazis just came and put the finishing touches on, you know, like just leveled mm-hmm. it off. But it was already destroyed by Stalin. You know, that um, he would do stuff like that. And, you know, he would put like monograms, like he would, I don't know if monograms is the right word, but like codes, like his name was, he would spell his name and put it in music. Yeah, you can oh, you hear. Mean like, oh, you mean like anagrams? Yeah. Yeah, you can hear his theme. They know what it is. You can hear it in a lot of pieces. And there was one for Stalin. My favorite is the, the 10th Symphony, where he's going back and forth with his theme and Stalin's theme. And it's like, it's like a Star Wars, thing. you know, it's like, you know, he has a theme and Stalin has a theme and they're like doing battle in, this, in the piece. It's like, it's amazing, man. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody knew about it at the time. But the, the story about Shostakovich is that his music with like the people somehow instinctively knew that he was writing music for them because they would go. The story is that like they they were afraid to even cry, like the 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 they were so terrified and and living in such fear all the time that they were afraid to even cry, but because they were being watched so you know the, the surveilled to such a level they they were afraid to even speak under a blanket to each other you know 
and there were stories of like guys writing poems, like poets writing poems, and then letting someone read it and then tearing it up and burying it in the ground. You know, like like they didn't even want any any uh, survival of of their work. Um, no evidence. But, uh, right. Yeah. I can't remember where, where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Well, and and now the United States is the is the surveillance state, uh, right? Under, and you know, and then they built that mega building in the middle Utah. of Utah, Utah, just to house all our data. Have you seen the sign that's out in front of that thing? No. What's it say? Do you know there's a sign in front of that building that says, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear, or something like that? Everybody has something to hide, period. <laughs> I know, but it, actually that argument, people always say it, but it actually says that in front of that building. Like that building used to be a conspiracy like theory, like people didn't believe it existed. Now, not only do we know it exists, we have photos of it, they have a sign in front that says, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Yeah, right. <laughs> or if you're not doing anything wrong, something like that. Like, that's creepy, man. <laughs> yeah, one one man's wrong is another man's uh, right. Uh, yeah. That's, that's absurd on its face. That's just nonsensical. But, um, yeah, forget that. But, you know, I think of the uh, other non-political, uh, some might, well, I think I, I just love like Norwegian wood. Oh, and, and so this is Christmas, which is a seemingly benign, but also has a definitely um, right. political message to it. And yeah. uh, but I gotta say it, I'm gonna put it out there. Yeah, uh, in my life is my favorite John Lennon song. Um, yeah, I know. I know it's not heavy. It's but it's just so sentimental and so sweet. So touching, so timeless, so relatable, so universal. Uh, it's as universal as imagine, but just in a personal sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I love it. And I, and like I said before, I, I, it was the blueprint for the song I wrote on my record, "Helpless Mystery." When I wrote those lyrics, I was just channeling that idea. I just was mm -hmm. writing that idea in different words because I just, that song just, it's so touching. I mean, it, it just, it always kind of makes my, my, you know, my you know, tears kind of well up in my eyes if I, if I really listen to it and I'm really immersed in it. Usually I'm yeah. just hearing it in the background in a supermarket or something. So, right. so, that, doesn't, so that doesn't happen. But if I've ever, you know, just sit like I've got this Beatles collection on Japanese import, you know, heavy grain vinyl. It's really a great collection, and um, yeah, if I would just put that on and listen to it, it's just it, it's a song. It's just so lovely. I just I I, I love it. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. Sometimes I for, sometimes I forget about it even. I think, oh, what what? Wait, what's one of my favorite Beatles songs? Or what's my favorite John Lennon song? Oh, yeah, in my life. There are places I remember on 
I, I wasn't really ever, I mean, I appreciate the Beatles more now than I ever did. And when I was a kid, when I first got into rock and roll, they sounded old to me, like it sounded dated and I wasn't into it. Um, but I loved, I mean, when I, I remember hearing Imagine when I was a kid and just hearing it, not knowing much about it <clears throat> and listening to the lyrics, not reading them, just hearing them and thinking it was profound. And I was only like 10 or 11, you know? Yeah. I mean, even to a child, it was obviously like a pretty profound song, you know, statement. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It, it, I mean, just it, lyrically and musically, I mean, it, it strikes a mood almost instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does capture a mood and uh, takes you to a place that, oh, yeah, is. Uh, <laughs> Is a, yeah, as a place I wish existed, but doesn't. Yeah, but, uh. <laughs> right. Now they were going to make it. They they were talking about making it the national anthem in the height of all this Black Lives Matter thing when they were going crazy trying to think of ways to appease the yeah. protesters. You know, getting mm -hmm. rid of Aunt Jemima and stuff like that. That was one right. of the ideas they were floating around. Yeah, the, the, it's always symbolism. We're not going to change anything structurally or economically, mm -hmm. but we are. Mm -hmm. We are, uh, or or incarceration wise, but we can do all the symbolism we can think of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and I I was actually worried about it for a minute, and then I realized. I mean, I even wrote a thing on Medium about it, and then, mm -hmm. then I realized, like, just recently, like th he says, no religion. There's no way we would ever do that. <laughs> Unless we yeah. just took that out, I mean, I guess yeah. we could take it out, but no, it's, no, it's that's yeah, it's it's yeah, the ink, ink, I mean, all the bases are covered in that too, and that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and you know, when I was a kid, I wasn't I wasn't aware enough to understand the the meaning of some of it, like no country or no no religion, like. It didn't really. I didn't understand why that was so meaningful. Although I wasn't religious, I just, you know, it didn't. It didn't really make as much sense then as it does now. I, I remember. Uh, oh God, like long like decades ago, I got in an argument with a Vietnam vet over that song. Really? Um, yeah. Very bitter. Very damaged. Uh, and there was nothing I could say that could, you know, convince him or make him even admit, like, like, you don't think that song has a positive message at all? <laughs> I mean, I was like, really now? You really, do? I mean, there's nothing there you can hang your hat on? Yeah, I, I, this guy was just, oh, that, TFG, too far gone. I mean, he what, was, what was his argument? What was he saying? Oh, he just he just hated John Lennon. He thought he was a oh. communist. He, he, you know, it was just uh, all the typical right wing, um, you know, like. And I was, and now in retrospect, now you know, years, years, you know, decades later after this incident, 
I, I, you know, I kind of settled the guy down and just said, well, can't we just, you know, just agree to disagree and just like coexist? You know, I was being real generous. Like I wasn't the combative in your face guy that I am today. (laughs) You know, this guy was a lot bigger and older than me. I was just, you know, I was just like a a 20 something kid, but um, I, I was, I remember that though. And, and then I thought, now I think back on it, and that guy was really hurt because he knew he was be, he had been used. He knew he had done horrible, horrible things to people that didn't deserve it. It's right. like, it's like Tariq Ali says, you know, the United States was basically bombing a peasant state mm-hmm. and killing women, children, old people, innocent civilians. That's what yeah. that war was. Everybody cries yeah. about 56,000 dead American soldiers, and that is horrible. I mean, that yeah. is just really horrible. But let's talk about the millions of Vietnamese, yeah. Cambodians, Laotians. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about their death. Yeah. Uh, the Phoenix program, I mean, it wasn't even bombs. I mean, they were going into villages and just, like, murdering people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, and I don't know how you justify that. I, there's no, there is no way to justify it. So when I think, I think about that encounter I had with that dude and, uh, uh, I just, I just think like, yeah, that guy was just so damaged and so torn up by the whole experience that, yeah, he's going to, he's going to blame people that we're trying to stop him from getting killed and for him killing anyone else. Right. Somehow he sees them as the villain and not the not the political structure that made that war even not just possible, but even how could you even entertain the thought of that war? You know what I'm saying? They made yeah. it. Pra- they, they they made it happen, but they even come up with the idea to do it. Oh, it's domino effect. If one communist country, right. you know, blah 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 blah. Give me a fucking break. McNamara admitted afterwards, years oh, later, yeah. that that it was that had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not, and it's like, and and as far as you go, and you know, it's like you're 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 like communist leader, I mean, that 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 was uh Western educated and uh in in, in France and, and came to the United States asking for help. One of his idols was F D R. You know, Ho Chi Minh was a pretty enlightened cat, you know. And, and yeah. it's just oh God. When you really look into it and and like if you just give a cursory view to, you know, the Oliver Stone uh, series, you know, it's it's just it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and and, and, then, and to go ahead. Yeah, well, and then there was this documentary I saw a couple of, a few years ago. Uh, you know, within the last five years, it was all about um, uh, Cambodian pop, like bands that that were happening in the '60s um, before they got secretly bombed. It wasn't a secret right. to them, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> they got before they got bombed, and it was a secret that Nixon was trying to keep from the United States uh, mm-hmm. public and the news media. But 
there were there were really creative, good bands and and stuff. Wow. And they showed all this footage of these of these really hip bands like you know male and female singers and 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 musicians and and like this one guy really worshipped Santana so he was like like uh kind of emulating Carlos Santana's playing and and just uh-huh. stuff like that like like amazing like the really good singers and songs and stuff and and that all just got wiped out the moment they started bombing and then the wow. Khmer Rouge come to power and a, a lot of them just get butchered and wow. oh, it's just horrible what could have been what a, a burgeoning creative music scene that could have was starting in, in Cambodia. Uh, huh. uh, just heartbreaking when you, you think of all the consequences of, of the damage that that war de, uh, did to, to yeah. people. And, and just, uh, just when you consider when you consider the fact that JFK was going to bring the troops on within a year, um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable. And and, and um, you know Johnson tore that up and you know turned it all mm-hmm. around and got it back going, promising them a war. Like I think it was Sunday after the assassination. Mm-hmm. Some people say Monday, but I think he had a meeting on Sunday. Or made a call or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, what? Yeah, what the what the military industrial complex and and cold warriors and uh, just <laughs> what the the, the um, extent that they will go to just to to have the, to have get their little war on. Is just yeah. incredible. Well, they will just stop at nothing. Yeah. Like one of the one of my songs I wrote, you underestimate the nature of our greed, and it just seems like such a huge problem. <laughs> like like nobody really, very few people really understand. It's just so hard to fathom mm-hmm. that yeah. they're that greedy. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't think there's anything they they wouldn't do. Yeah, they I mean, they literally would stop at nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, the, yeah, like we said last time, you know that. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, the reason I came with slow market because yeah, the oligarchs taking out one of their own oligarchs yeah. just because he had a different idea of, of mm-hmm. doing something. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's incredible to me you know well but i guess when you look at it i mean probably they just off jeffrey epstein right because he had the goods on oh, sure. on how many people <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, totally. I guess it's still kind of, i guess it's still kind of going on you know whatever um, yeah and paul wellstone's little plane going down with uh he and his family you know, while he's yep. uh, campaigning. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And they tried to get they tried to get um, those guys with the with the anthrax. I mean, maybe it was just a threat. I don't know. But I mean, they that was a, that was government issued anthrax that went to those Democrats who were opposing the Patriot. I think it was the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And then we have Seth uh, Rich, you know. Yeah, yeah. There you no go. No one will there talk about that poor guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, well if I, you do, you know, it, you're, you're talking about conspiracy theories. There. <laughs> I love that. We and anybody that's enlightened, people, this, this, the CIA came up with the term conspiracy theory to marginalize people who figured out that there are conspiracies. I so they, I just they, ha- uh, I just had an argument their, with that's guy. their wording. It's their wording, guys. Yeah, you know? it is. That's why I don't even like when Jimmy Dory says it about Russia Gate. I just hate it. I hate using their word back at them because it legitimizes the word, the term, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's like I know you are, but what am I? It's it's you know. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. Right. I hate it. I wish you wouldn't <laughs> use that term. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I remember uh, when, you know, I was a kid. I didn't like the Beatles. When I first discovered mm-hmm. rock and roll, um, mm-hmm. it was like '77, uh, '78, and mm-hmm. he probably wasn't doing anything at that time. So when Double Fantasy came out, it was like all of a sudden John Lennon's on the radio and he's doing interviews. And I was hearing his name for like the first time, really. Mm -hmm. And I was Mm -hmm. hearing him give these interviews and his songs off of Double Fantasy were, you know, on the radio and just like starting over was the big hit. I, I have to say just, just because of like nostalgia that I think that song is the one that gives me the most emotional feeling. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, probably partly because you know, very soon after that, he was killed. Our life together is so precious. Together we have grown. We have grown. Although our love is still special. Let's take a chance. And fly away somewhere alone. It's been too long since we took the time. No one's to blame. My no time flies so quickly. For a kid to to sort of um, put all that together, I always felt, even as a kid, I felt like, why is it the people that are talking about peace that get killed? You know, like Jesus and, and John Lennon. And, mm-hmm. and I always had like, and as a kid, I thought it must attract these crazy lunatics. Like they must see it as like, uh you know, like, oh, this guy's talking about peace. So I'll, I'll, I, I just had this idea that maybe, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what was happening. That that anybody mm-hmm. who came out for peace and human rights and stuff like that, that that people would see it as a target and want to kill them. I I didn't really understand why that was, but it just mm-hmm. seemed to be what was happening because they're always telling us it's lone nuts. Yeah, but, right. 
when you look at this thing, there's a lot of, um, a lot there. It's not, I mean, there's a lot there, but before we get there, you, you were going to, you told me a story. I don't know the whole story, but you said that uh, you have a personal story about this. Yeah. I, uh, happened to be in New York city with my then girlfriend, Dora, and we were staying uptown, not quite, we were probably about, I don't know, about 10 blocks north of the street that the Dakota was on. And we were out that night, the night that uh, it happened, and we walked by the very street, like literally, if we'd taken a right-hand turn on, and I don't remember the street, what was the Dakota on? I don't remember now. But if we literally could have just taken a right, I mean, it was in visual range. We could see it. Like if we just would have turned the corner, we could have waited out in front for John and Yoko to come home or whatever. And, And... who knows? We maybe saw the shooter. What was the shooter guy's name again? I get my uh, Mark David Chapman. David Chapman. I get I get the guy that shot Reagan and that guy mixed up. I get my uh, programmed assassins mixed up. So uh, right. thank you. Well, there's so many similarities between those two, which we can talk about in a minute. It doesn't exactly. surprise me. <laughs> it's exactly. only like three months apart, too. Exactly. And uh, and uh, so. I mean, for all intents and purposes, for what I know is I probably could have, I probably saw the guy standing out in front of the the Dakota and we just kept walking and, uh, you know, uh, we were, we were south of Harlem, but north of like the, the good area, you know, it was starting to get a little, you know, whatever, uh, marginal and, uh, Uh we got, got home in the evening. And uh, Dora turned on the radio to listen, and we heard the news, like 15 wow. minutes after we got home. Damn, man. And, and it was just like, and me being punk rock guy at the time, I was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of like whatever. And then it started to sink in, like, dude, this is fucking, don't try and be some punk rock poser guy. This is, this is horrible, you know. Yeah. And right immediately, Dora was just devastated. So the next day we pick up, I mean, New York Daily News, New York Times, every, I mean, it's on every paper. You can't, I mean, and you walk outside. It had to be the quietest day in the history of New York City. Wow. I mean, yeah, there were cars driving around, but people weren't beeping at each other. People weren't ye- yelling, your mother, get out of my way, you bum. None of that, yeah. you know. It, it, and people weren't, they were just numb. The whole city was just numb. So we went downtown. We went down to Trash and Vaudeville and and some record stores and stuff like that. And, and like we're going, I go into Trash and I, and I, I can't remember what I bought, a shirt or something. And uh, I mean, just the clerk, everybody was just, Oh my God! It was like their mother or their father had just died, and they still right. had to go to work. You know? Yeah. I mean, it was just everywhere, everywhere. 
uh, I think, oh, that was the day that I picked up my autographed copy of uh, In Cold Blood, uh, Johnny, the Johnny oh. Thunder's book. And, um, and, oh my God, it was horrible. It was just horrible. And the more you interacted with people and the more you saw people's reaction and their faces and just how deeply this, this affected them. By the time we got home that after late afternoon, early evening again, I mean, we just felt worse. You know, right. I mean, we were just, I mean, and then, and then we walked by again and we saw the vigil out in the front of the Dakota. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, crap. You know, I mean, do we go over there or do we just keep walking? What do we, you know, it, we didn't go over. We just did keep walking. But we were, because we were just, that wouldn't have made us feel better. We'd already gone through it all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was it was just like, oh man, we're okay. We, is there some possible way that we that we can just forget about this or just put it in a compartment and set it aside just for an hour, or whatever? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was horrible, and that was like in the middle of our trip. We had like, I don't know, a few more days to stay there, uh-huh. and uh, and we were staying at a a, a friend's brother's apartment, and uh, and no one was there. It was just us. We were kind of, you know, just kind of using that as our our crash pad. Uh, and uh, it was horrible. I, it was it was just unbelievable. I, I I didn't even buy a paper about it or anything. You know, I like I mm-hmm. like oh god, I got my assassination souvenir. No, I didn't even do that. Nothing. Yeah. Like nothing. Uh, it was just it was just horrible. You just you just kind of wanted to forget it even happened, but you couldn't. <clears throat> it was impossible. It was just it was it was like you just got submerged in um I don't know, some like oil or something. You know, it was just, it was yeah. just thick and gooey, and it just covered you, and you couldn't get, you couldn't wash it away. It was just all over you, and, and it was yeah. just the whole city was just in mourning, and it didn't let up. And I think until like by the time we left, it started to kind of get back to normal. But it, it was just, it was. I, I it's like nine eleven, right? I mean, it probably was similar. Oh, ab- oh yeah. Ab- I, I'm, I'm only guessing, but I'm sure that's a well. I don't comparison. I mean, yeah, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, but like how, everything felt that way here in LA after 9/11. It was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I'm sure. But especially, yeah, and especially the places we were going, because like I said, we went to Trash and Vaudeville, and we went to mm-hmm. you know, all these cool record stores, and we were you were down in in, in the village, and we were going, you know, so you. Know, it's not like, you know, we went to Wall Street, you know, something like that. Yeah, you, you know? probably were going to places that Lennon actually went to sometimes. So people probably saw him around and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was really horrible. And, and so that that's my personal experience with it. I mean, I, you know, it's like, uh, didn't plan it, didn't know it was going to happen. Uh, you know, sure. Sorry, it did happen. Um, 
but it was just a weird coincidence that um, yeah, I just happened to be there that that day. Walk by 15 minutes earlier, and and you know could have could have heard the shot ring out if we'd been a little bit later. Two, three, four. Everybody's talking, no one says a word. Everybody's making love, and no one really cares. Nazis in the bathroom just below the stairs Always something happening and nothing going on There's always something cooking and nothing in the pot They're starving back in China So finish what you got I think I think I heard about it from my teacher at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting way of ending the whole Beatles thing, um, because <clears throat> not that there weren't other Beatles still alive, but I mean it ended the possibility of the Beatles ever, you know, doing right. anything again. Because allegedly, I mean, I hear I don't know which album it was. Maybe it was Meet the Beatles came out the day that JFK died in the US. Mm. Wow. So it's sort of yeah. like a chapter opened and shut with these fucking assassinations. It's crazy. Right. right. And the Beatles were a great distraction for the JFK assassination, you know. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. it's it's so ironic. Now, I'm writing a song about it actually right now. I've been working on it for like a month. Um, about that, about how one of the Beatles like turned on, like the Beatles were the greatest distraction for the for the JFK assassination, and one of the Beatles turned on that establishment, and you know mm-hmm. they had to take him out. Like just it's so such a bizarre twist of events, you know, when you think about that. Well, you know, and it was, the other thing too that makes the, the whole John Lennon as a person sort of interesting to me, uh, he, you know, okay, very, he starts out really working class, working class dude and, um, has a great sense of humor is super intelligent and witty, but he's kind of an asshole. I mean, <laughs> he, he yeah, wrote I, about it. He wrote about it in Beatles songs, right? I mean, he didn't really try and hide it much. And, and that's what I love about it. Too, the, the guy really made this um, uh, progression just as a person, mm-hmm. creative genius, songwriter, whatever aside, if you can put that aside. But but I'm just you know just to talk about him as a dude, and um, mm-hmm. it's really interesting too. And 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 when you and they kind of romanticized the whole thing with him and Yoko. It's weird, like. Like I, I've really grown to appreciate Yoko more now than I ever have. Me too. Do I still yeah. do I still enjoy listening to her singing? Oh hell no. No, please, no. I like but, one or two songs. But as an but as I mean, she's a real artist. I will never mm-hmm. even scratch the surface of that sort of commitment or just immersion 
in in your artistry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, she is completely immersed in, in being an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I give her a lot of credit for that. And I couldn't appreciate that when I was younger. But as you get older, you go, wow, you're the real deal. You know, you, you, yeah. you've lived this your whole freaking life. Okay. And, and like she experienced World War II, so she knew firsthand what war really was about you know, because right. she came from a, a fairly wealthy family in Japan. But then, you know, when they started dropping bombs, you know, she lived that. So th- it really gives her a perspective that, God, I mean, few other people could, you know. I mean, uh, John Lennon might have been born, you know, the tail end of things, you know, in World War II, but he, you know, he wasn't the, you know, it, I don't know, did they bomb Liverpool? I mean, I think they concentrated on London, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. but the guy, you know, I mean, he's this kind of like, uh, you know, he's pushing his women around and, you know, he says in that one yeah. time, you know, he used to beat my women. And so, I mean, and, and, and then the whole thing was, like I said, Yoko and him, they split up for a while. He was, he got drunk and was hanging out with Harry Nielsen and getting kicked out of the troubadour for being loud and obnoxious and being a jerk. Right. <laughs> and that's a, and and that's when he was hanging out with that what was it May May Ping, I think, you know. May Ping. Yeah, there's yeah, there's, May, there's a you know that song um that what is that song with the French sort of chorus but it's kind of nonsense. Oh, Number 9 Dream, right? She oh, in yeah. the middle of that song, which I love, and I never, like, I, that's a song that I recognize from my early, early childhood, like hearing on AM radio, like my mom must have played it, but I never knew it was John Lennon. I just heard it recently. I'm like, what the fuck? This is John Lennon. And um, in in the verses, you can hear an Asian, it sounds like Yoko saying, John, John. But it's May Pang. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had to get. He still had some get. Had some angst to get out of his system, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so I'm glad that he and Yoko got it together, and and they were able to, you know, create more really amazing music, and uh, you know, have another son, and and uh, live almost heavily, ha- happily, at least, and up and you know got cut short. And mm-hmm. I really like. I really like Yoko now too. Because she's she's since she's not living in John's shadow, she's pretty mm-hmm. articulate about things. You know, I've I've heard her, um, you know, um, speak about different subjects and 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 topics, and of course, you know, the history with her and John and stuff. And it's it's pretty enlightening and and, and uh, yeah, very 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 well said. And and uh, so I give her 
give her a lot of credit, and I, I'm I'm you know, I'm glad she's uh, yeah I'm glad she's still hanging in there. Yeah. yeah, and at the end of that movie, you know, U.S. versus John Lennon, she says they tried they tried to kill John, but they could never kill him. You know, take away what he gave right. us or something like that. Like she says, they. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no other there, in that movie. He there's a quote from him that says, "If something happens to Yoko or I, it's not an accident." Yeah. You know when yeah. when they're following him, he said that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then at the end, she says that she says they tried to kill John, and I found something recently. Um, it's a review of my favorite uh, JFK book called JFK and Unspeakable by Yoko Ono. And she says, right now I ask all of you, please, please read JFK and Unspeakable. I cried all night reading it and didn't sleep a wink. It is a book that should make us stand up and change the world right now. Maybe we can save the world before it blows up. Really? Yoko Ono. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. No, no, she's, uh, yeah, I mean, you realize that a lot of the vitriol that was, you know, um, put against her, you know, oh, she broke up the Beatles, no, give me a break. Um, no, it was, a lot of it was just sexism and racism, a lot of racism. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, if she'd been, you know. Well, yeah, lot, from the fans, for sure. I, I heard... Um, Paul, I heard an interview with Paul where he talked about the 80th birthday of John. It was really cool, but I mean, it's really like shallow, but he says that that's what broke up the Beatles, but he doesn't say like she came in and started, you know, making trouble. He just said like a year, a year before John was just like in love. And he says it with absolute respect. Like he was in love and he was going off into another place and it was bound to happen at that point. Like it just, like it was, there's nothing that could have been done about it. Yeah. 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 People grow and they, and go in different directions. And like, like I said, talking about Lennon's evolution, he definitely grew, you know, he, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and thank God. I mean, it's great. And that's, that's why I like, it's like you and I always talk about when we talk about politics, it's, I don't, I don't give a damn if a guy comes home and kicks his dog every fucking night. If this, if if he's going to give me policies that make my life better and that help to uh, to make uh, make the earth a little bit more peaceful uh, or and the planet less polluted or whatever, it's the policies that matter, not not his personal peccadillos. Um, right. I, and and. And John Lennon got past his per- personal peccadillos and definitely was a positive force um, yeah. on the planet for you know, quite some time. So, uh, you know, well, you know, I mean, you know, figure well, at least a third of his 40 years for sure, you know. So, yeah. Well, um, I agree. I uh, I think we should mention a few things so, so people don't think we're just making a bunch of uh, you know um, making up the idea that he was 
killed by the government. Um, there's a lot of that. There, there are two books. Um, one is by Fenton Bressler, which is the first one I read, um, Who Killed John Lennon. There's another one. I thought I wrote it down here. Philip Strongman, I think it is. Um, and his book, in in Fenton Bressler's book, you know, he just lays out the the case that it was a mind control thing. And um, Chapman had, uh, you know, he was he was um, always involved with the YMCA, which was a known, like a huge chunk of their money comes from the CIA, and. Yeah. He went to, he traveled the world. He was not, he didn't have money, but he traveled the world. Somehow his, his trips were paid for. Um, he always had, he had an expensive art collection. He had like some original uh, Norman Rockwells. Um, but anyway, Fenton Bresler lays out the case like almost like, I mean, day to day by day. I mean, he made a trip to New York. He was going to do it. And he, he was, he had an internal voice that was that he was fighting that he won and he 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 didn't do it and he went back to Hawaii where he was living and then he made the next trip I think he arrived on the fifth of December and then killed him three days later um, but um, the uh, one of the cops that interviewed him said that he he seemed like he was programmed. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's also a couple comparisons with um, Hinckley. Um, mm-hmm. One is that uh, they they both were into the catcher and the rye, which is crazy when you think about it. Like mm-hmm. Chapman was reading the catcher and the rye after he shot Lennon. He was just sitting there reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Hinckley who shot Reagan like three months later had the book in his hotel room. This is bizarre. And he says that he was inspired by Chapman, but I don't know to, to be, to have the book, but the, um, Bressler thought that it was part of his programming was, um, the book, something in the book. Um, and there's another tie. Or there, yeah, there's, you know, Hinckley's, Hinckley was a family friend of Bush. Mm-hmm. And Bush w- would have inherited the office if Reagan had right. died. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you, did you listen to the story that, as told by John Judge? I don't know if I sent you that video about the Reagan yeah, shooting. I, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did. So I, he... He yeah. says that, you know, there's no way Hinckley could have done it because they pulled this dime-size flechette out of his chest. Doctor, right. like, they almost sewed him up and put, you know, had it in there. But doctor went yeah. in one more time with his finger and pulled this dime-size flechette out, and that's what hit him. It wasn't a bullet. Right. And so it couldn't have come from Hinckley's gun. And uh, so they tried to kill him, and... and John Judge, who's like, you know, a respected researcher, one of the most respected, and he passed away a couple of years ago, but one of the most respected, if not the most respected 
researcher that I, you know, I listened to the, the that midnight um, writer show, and it seems like all the researchers love John Judge the most, like he's their favorite. He worked with May May Brussel closely, so like he was really close with May Brussel, and um, I think he inherited her library when she died, like all her papers and stuff. And, um, so I totally trust that guy, but. Um, the thing there's there's a tie between Hinckley's father um and uh and Chapman and I think it's that Chapman worked at a at an organization that um I have so many notes here it's like it's hard for me to it's hard for me to find it um Chapman was a former employee of World Vision which is a CIA linked nonprofit humanitarian quote unquote organization of which Bush's friend John Hinckley senior was heavily involved so the CIA, that that's where the CIA link one of the CIA links um also uh the program has strange ties to Washington's St Elizabeth Mental Hospital uh, which is where Hinckley spent 35 years until his release in 2016. Um, so the other part of this is that this Philip Strongman wrote a book a few years after, or maybe 10 or 20, I don't know when that book came out, but um, in his book, he reveals that they know who the likely real shooter was in the Lenin assassination. And it was the mm. Dakota doorman his name was Jose Joaquin Sanjenes Perdomo, and he um, was an anti-Castro Cuban exile and a member of the Brigade Brigade 2506 during the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. So that guy may have been, you know, the like with like with RFK, Sirhan Sirhan really didn't um i think he may have even said the bullets came from the other side but i don't want to say that because i don't remember but um it's like he was there and and i think he asked him what did you just do and he said i just shot john lennon or he said do you know what you just did or something like that and he said i just shot john lennon so like he was the doorman and uh I don't know how they know that. I don't know how they figured that out. Um, I've never heard anybody contest that, but I've read it in multiple places. Mm. Um, so it really, I mean, it is, it, it is, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what happened. There's so, I mean, there's so many details, you know, mm. where he got the gun and, and how he was flown around and he made a stop in Chicago and they think that was his handler and, and his wife may have been involved because she booked his travel and uh, she's still married to him, which is weird. I found out kind of weird that she stayed married to him, to Chapman. And and then isn't it also the weird, like Hinckley and Chapman, they never, they never really went to trial either. <laughs> well, know? that's the other thing. Yes. Um, Chapman pled guilty. Mm-hmm. So he just went straight to jail. And I, the, the Bressler actually, I believe, did an interview. Like he called him on the phone, and he tried mm-hmm. to tell him, like, "Don't you know you were you were you were controlled, you were hypnotized?" And he was like, 
confused by it and he was like i don't think that's true or something like that like he you know it was really weird really mm-hmm. bizarre mm-hmm. Yeah. and i don't know man the whole thing is crazy but they say he was a beatles fan right so he wasn't a beatles fan nate brussel says that he was actually a, a right you know a christian born again sort of christian right. and that he would have been totally anti-beatles at the time, yeah. you know, because John Lennon was saying they were bigger than Jesus, whatever. So it was like a big thing that they, they, the Christians were very anti-Beatles, and he was Christian. But I found out that he is a uh, he was a a fan of Todd Rundgren. You know the famous Todd Rundgren um, letter. No. Do you remember that? Hmm. Oh, you dude. He wrote him a fan? No, well, what happened was uh, Todd Rundgren talked shit about um, John Lennon. <laughs> well, I, I guess if you're if you're as talented as Todd Rundgren, maybe you can do that. I don't know. But I, I don't like it because I love both of them. So. I'll, I'll tell you the story. It's funny to me that he was a fan of Todd Rundgren and he wasn't a fan of Lennon, even though they tried to spin it. In light of this, this confrontation that they had, um, I'm sure it had nothing to do with his motive for killing John Lennon, but it's pretty interesting. In 1974, just as Rundgren had just released his highly celebrated experimental album, album, Todd, and on the promotion run, the musician sat down with Melody Maker magazine for an interview. Um, let's see, what did he say? John Lennon ain't no revolutionary. He's a fucking idiot, man. Shouting about revolution and acting like an ass, it just makes people feel uncomfortable. (laughs) He added, all he really wants to do is get attention for himself, and if revolution gets him that attention, he'll get attention through revolution. Hitting a waitress in the troubadour, what kind of revolution is that, mused Rundgren. Um, Well, well, see, yeah, I guess at that time... uh Seeing that the circumstances, what we were just talking about with the getting thrown out with Harry Nielsen for being belligerent drunks, yeah, yeah, you can you can kind of give that a little bit of like, okay, I can understand how why you're saying that because right. that does run counter to your peace and love message that you've been laying down True. for the last True. ten years, and like I started, like I was saying. Only if you are as talented as Todd Rundgren can you even entertain <laughs> the thought of saying anything like that. <laughs> All right. I so, don't know how talented because, he is because I only heard one song that I like, and I like uh, the because, but... because I have that Todd album, and I also have Wizard of True Star and I have some other stuff, Utopia. I mean, the guy's a fucking genius. He's he's amazing. I've okay. seen him in concert. He's great. I love, my favorite song off of that um, off that Todd album is uh, um, is uh, is it Heavy Metal Kids or Oh no, is it no no is it My Name is off Wizard of True Star. Yeah, it's Heavy Metal Kids. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're both amazing. They can talk <laughs> shit about. They could talk shit about each other if if John was alive, you know. They're they're, they're yeah. both incredible. Yeah. Well, here here's a continuation of his quote. He's an important figure, sure, but so is Richard Nixon. 
Nixon was just like another generation's John Lennon, someone who represented all sorts of ideals but was out for himself underneath it all. I mean, he goes on. Well, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, he's. I think I think he's got a hair up his ass for some reason yeah. and whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Todd's mellowed with age. He lives in he lives in Hawaii now, and he's uh, right. <laughs> he lives he lives where where. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. He lives where um, Chapman was living when he killed Lennon. Um, yeah. But see that that whole thing goes back to what I was saying. It's John Lennon grew as a person. I mean, the guy while he was, you know, not quite there yet was still writing Norwegian wood in in my life. You know, I mean, so even in the midst of like, okay, I'm not fully evolved yet, um, uh, he was still creating, I mean, writing these beautiful heartfelt songs. And uh, and then, you know, once he got together with Yoko and, and then all this other amazing, you know, important material poured out, Look, the thing about Todd, too, and, you know, I, I mean, although I still love the guy. Todd's never been a political person. He's not. No, I could not, tell. That's that's why it's yeah. so lame. But, yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's his response. And this was an open letter that was published um, in Melody Maker <laughs> in response to his to Todd's interview. Um, an opened lettuce to sod Runtelstuntel from Dr. Winston O'Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist adding a few islands of truth of my own in answer to Todd Turd Runtgreen's Howl of Hate. And then in parentheses, he writes pain. Dear Todd. I like you and some of your work, including I Saw the Light, which is not unlike There's a Place, melody-wise, Beatles song, I guess. Um, right. One, I have never claimed to be a revolutionary, but I am allowed to sing about anything I want, right? Two, I never hit a waitress at the troubadour. I did act like an ass. I was mm-hmm. too drunk, so shoot me. Three, I guess we are all looking for attention, Rod. Do you really think I don't know how to get it without revolution? I could dye my hair green and pink for a start. Four, I don't represent <laughs> four, I don't represent anyone but myself. It sounds like I represented something to you, or you wouldn't be so violent towards me. Your dad, perhaps? <laughs> five. Yes, Dodd. <laughs> Violence comes in mysterious ways. It's wonders to perform, including verbal. But you'd know that kind of mind game, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Six. So the Naz used to do like heavy rock, then suddenly a light, po- pretty ballad. How original. <laughs> mm-hmm. Seven. Which gets me to the Beatles. <laughs> Quote, who had no other style than being the Beatles. Mm-hmm. That covers a lot of style, man, including your own to date. (laughs) Yes, God. The one thing those Beatles did was to affect people, people's minds. Maybe you need another fix. Somebody played me your rock and roll. Is it N-word song? But I never noticed anything. I think that the real reason you're mad at me is because I didn't know who you were at the rainbow. 
Remember that time you came in with Wolfman Jack? When I found out later, I was cursing because I wanted to tell you how good you were. I'd heard you on the radio. Anyway, however much you hurt me, darling, I'll always love you. JL, 30th September, 1974. Yeah, see, that's brilliant, especially about the dying your hair pink and green or whatever, because Todd did that. I mean, that was a big deal. <laughs> I didn't even uh, know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's his picture on the cover of the Todd album. He's got his multicolored hair. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh no, see, see, that's that's what I mean. You, you, you don't put down, you don't heckle a comedian because he's going to rip you to shreds. You, you yeah. don't you don't you don't heckle John Lennon, who <laughs> no I'm sorry, is just way smarter, way more witty, w- just way more way famous, more, way more loved, way more talented. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't you don't you don't punt. Yeah, you you just you don't want to take that on. It's just it's not good, you know. <laughs> it's not going to turn out well. I'm sorry. And and to prove it, here's the deal. Here's the to me, this is the most ironic thing. The Utopia years after that in the I think what is it, 80s? Yeah, in the 80s, they did a they did a record called Be Face the Music. Uh-huh. And it's them it Todd wrote all these songs the entire album is and they even have the picture you know the way the first beatles album it's like the three guys are in a row and then i think ringo's like down one you know mm-hmm. he's not in a row he's he's below the guys you know anyway mm-hmm. so they even did the, the cover of the record that way and it's and it's not beatles covers but it's songs written in the style of the beatles I have the CD. It's 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 fantastic. Wow. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Todd Run Todd Rundgren can clone any. He's like Eric Carmen, where he can clone any style of of writing that anyone's mm-hmm. done. Like Todd Rundgren writes the most amazing uh, uh, Motown songs, but mm. you know Todd Rundgren songs. They're but they're written in the style of Motown, and and so That's he wrote cool. a whole a whole album of Beatles songs that weren't Beatles songs. They're his wow. songs, but they're done in the style of the Beatles. I want to check that out because I've been looking for Beatles songs. So I'm working on this John Lennon tribute song and I'm trying to make it Beatlesque and I'm trying to look for inspiration beyond oh, well, the Beatles. Yeah, Deface the Music, I mean, is, is I'm gonna check like it out. perfect. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a really well done record. At the edge of the world the sun pouring down we must be heading home i completely agree i've just been waiting for the right words to come It's just like when Todd Rundgren did, uh, he covered uh, 
uh, did his cover of Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. I mean, it mm-hmm. sounded like the original version, just with a different guy singing it. <laughs> it was just so, it was so spot on, you know. It was just like, yeah, why did you even yeah. bother? You know, did you just karaoke right. over the, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really well done. I mean, yeah. So anyway, I love them both. I can't, you know, Todd, you, you stepped out of, you know, you stepped out of bounds, dude. You, you didn't need to go there. <laughs> but he paid for it, man. I'm sure he paid yeah. shit after that. Yeah, big time. And uh, and like I said, he uh, he swallowed his pride and did deface the music. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. <laughs> Pretty cool. Oh, cool, man. Is there anything else you want to plug or discuss? Uh. No, but uh, we'll 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 do another we one of these post election because we're doing this before the election, and uh, yeah. what, who was it that said um, was it um, was it uh, oh god the, the suffragette um, I can't think of the name now, but anyway, um, famous person uh, uh, in, in in the past who said uh, yeah elections aren't for uh, you, you, all the, all you do in an election is you 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 just you pick your you pick the enemy you want to have, you know. And uh, yeah. so uh, yeah, we're about to pick our new enemy, so we, we can talk about that afterwards. But uh, sure. but no, this was great. Lennon Lennon was you know an amazing cat, and uh, I, I love his life progression. I love that the guy can write this beautiful music even when he was still, you know, you know, kind of a buck up in his personal life. But the guy was brilliant, super intelligent. He was, he was yeah, and he suffered a lot. I mean, he yeah, was amorphous. Yeah, that, that's one yeah. thing that it was interesting. I was listening to this Paul McCartney interview with Alec Baldwin, actually. And I think mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin mentioned it. He said he was an orphan, wasn't he? And Paul was like, you know, I'd never thought about it like that before. But he was, because mm-hmm. his father yeah. left him when he was a baby, like three. Yeah. And his mother died when he was a teenager. And he was raised mm-hmm. by his aunt anyway. And, right. I mean, that's really sad, you know? Like, he had a lot of anger. He had a lot of, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah. amazing that he turned out to be such a badass guy with fame and all that stuff. Like, most, yeah. you know, what do they say? What does Jimmy always say? Like, people who, who you know, once you have a hundred thousand dollars, you you lose your empathy or whatever. Oh yeah, no, and he never did. He he was he he. No matter how many mansions or Rolls Royces he had painted psychedelic, he he was. You you never felt like okay, this guy's lost it. He's still the guy from Liverpool. He's still mm-hmm. just a dude. He's still just a working class guy who just happened yeah. to grab brass ring on the first go around, you know? Yeah. And in these interviews that he would do, like these, these, uh, the media people would attack him for being anti-war. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was so polite. And so, um, you know, he would talk to them and they would just beat him up over this. And he would just talk to them like, you know, appeal to them and explain himself honestly. I mean, it's really, I mean, he was really putting himself in a vulnerable place 
mm-hmm. in front of the whole world and they were all attacking him and he just was like so strong to not get mad and say fuck you like he would just reason with them and explain to them why it was important and stuff like that's amazing dude like yeah i can't even yeah. do that with my friends sometimes you know <laughs> yeah i definitely can't do it with the people I hang out with yeah yeah no he he's just yeah he's uh yeah that's what I'm saying he had always had a sense of humor was always brilliant super fast on his feet um just I mean that wit and the and I mean just that letter you read that he, that rebuttal to to Todd Warner I mean it's like, come on you can't you you just like I said the, the creativity wasn't limited to music you know? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, that, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, I mean, and you got to have it. But to me, it's like the the foundation of it all is this uh, his sense of humor and, and his wit. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just growth as a human being, and then to come out the other end and 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 uh, you know come up with the chord progression to imagine. Uh, it's just yeah. I mean, that's it. And it's like uh, Yoko Ono said, it was like when she looks back on it, the whole reason that her and, her and John got together was just to write that song. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, that's, 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 and I'm like, yeah, 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 I can, <laughs> I'd be happy with that, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, it would have been nice that they still could have grown old together and, but, yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's kind of like that kind of was the the um I mean double fantasy's great don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. that you know imagine kind of was the mount everest you know No I I know I absolutely and I mean I, to me the 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 tragedy of the whole thing <clears throat> is that all those people that you talked about in New York and in the whole world with the candlelight mm-hmm. vigils and all the sadness, you know. I mean, I feel that about JFK. You know, people were sad mm-hmm. about JFK, and no, and you know, a few people questioned it, and a few people were mad or whatever. And some of them became researchers, and dedicated their lives to investigating the case. But it's like with Lennon. I mean, I can't even get anybody to read the book. You know, like mm-hmm. people, like people just like they love this guy, but then they don't really it doesn't spur them into any sort of action to, to try and figure out what really happened or, you know, this book's been around for ages. It's, it's written in the eighties and it was, it's out of print, you know, like it, it was so not a bestseller. It's like, you know, it's gone. And, you know, that to me is the tragedy is like, you know, like why, why aren't people, why, why weren't, why didn't it cause a resolution? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, well, well, because you know, you you and I being uh, coming, you know, being on the musician side side of things, we 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 see the the, the importance of that because we're also political pe- animals at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people just see him not as a, you know, he definitely wasn't a politician. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he, he, yeah. He, the, regardless of how intense or deep or important of the, the lyrics were that he wrote um and the music he did people don't see him 
changing their lives the way a, a politician could potentially do. So they, I don't think they uh, subscribe the same importance to the assassination of a John Lennon as they would, you know, a JFK, RFK, J, uh, Martin Luther King, or, or Malcolm X, or Fred Hampton, or fuck, can you stop me now? Because I can keep going. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. But 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 they, like she said, John Lennon could get tw- you know a million people in any city in 24 hours to protest a war. Like they loved yeah. him that much, but when the, right, when the right, state right. killed him, they they didn't even look into it. And, and even books have been come out that that are just amazing that that lay it all out and and mm-hmm. it doesn't catch fire. Like. I talk to people who love the Beatles. They're just like, yeah, okay. You know, like it, they just accept it. Like, oh, okay. And, or it doesn't surprise me or whatever. Like, like it's mm-hmm. like, they're so jaded. I was fucking yeah, well, blown away. You know what I mean? Like when I right. found this out, I was like blown away. Everybody I talked to is just like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> fucking, they don't give a fuck, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, maybe the, they the think record. I'm crazy too. And they don't mm-hmm. admit it. I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Right. Well, the, well, the record buying public isn't usually, uh, you know, and and geeks that are usually into the Beatles aren't, you know, you know yeah, they're they're not going to take. I don't know, they're, <laughs> you know, they're they're just happy to listen to the songs and they don't, uh, yeah, they don't they don't see past that, which is unfortunate, you know, and uh, it's tragic, man. Yeah, yeah, it really is. The guy it's fucking really gave his life. Or something greater than that music, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for those people, for all of us, you know what I mean. Just mm-hmm. like JFK, it's like MLK, you know, yeah. Malcolm X. Like they, those, he knew. I mean, he canceled that tour. He canceled that concert. He knew that he, he could be in danger. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he could have done it. I guess you could say. But he, you know, I think it's smart of him not to have done it, (laughs) you know, and it's like, I don't know. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it is. And, and well, leave it up to guys like us to remember this stuff and, and, and look beneath the surface to, uh, um, you know, because that's the whole point of this whole pod is to <laughs> kind of kind of put the you know the the the, the deep politics and the rock and roll and and this is like the most perfect example of it. And we'll try and come up with other things too. He had some other good suggestions of things we can do and yeah. And, and we got we got records that we want to highlight and, and uh, that yeah, have. We have a, some- have a political slant to them. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot. I think there's a lot we could do. Right. right. So, thanks for doing oh, it. That, I appreciate it. Uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry it's taking me so long to get get to, to number two here. But, uh, That's okay. Life, life intervenes. But um, sure. hope you folks uh, out there enjoy it. You hear, hear us babble about these things. but Because um, they are important to us, and hopefully they are to somebody else as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. All right, Anthony. Well, thank you. All right. All right, Dist. Well, then, uh, 
get to bed. You got to work tomorrow, even though you can do it in your PJs. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll talk to you. And, 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 and if you and if you don't buy it on your own, uh, let me know. I'll try and dig up, deface the music, and I've got it right. I mean, it's in these CDs right here. It's somewhere. I just have to literally find it. And uh, I'll, it, it's it's a great CD, dude. It's really really good. I think uh, I can I can uh, stream it, but I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. All right, cool. But if you don't, let me know because I've got it. I've got okay. it somewhere. I'm in these. I'm excited to check it out. I'm, I'm, that's really cool. It's, it's exactly no, it what is. I've been looking for. Yeah, I know it's it's really good. It, it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, yeah. man. So it's Todd, it's not Todd Rundgren. It's it's Utopia. Right. It, it, okay. It, yeah, it's Utopia. He faced the music. Yeah. Cool. All right, just all right. Get some sleep and uh, thank you. I'll uh, talk to you later, man. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See ya. Bye. Last week on this program, I asked some questions when the program began about 1981 when Ronald Reagan and the team moved into the White House. How will we remember 1980 and who will stop assassinations and murders and genocide and torture? And I had a long list of questions that are on a printed sheet that you can send for if you don't have it. People that subscribe to the tapes get it with the tapes. I also said the assassination teams from the early 60s are all in place. And the murderers are moving up in power as Ronald Reagan takes over in the Senate in California and the Senate and the House and committees in Washington, D.C. Strom Thurmond, the member of the Senate who wanted the Lenins deported in the 70s, early 70s, on the most flimsy charges, is now head of the Judiciary Committee. Well, Sunday night, I posed some questions for the end of this year and trouble spots in the world and listed them. And 24 hours later, John Lennon was dead. And within two days, that body of flesh, whatever it is, was cremated and delivered to Yoko Ono in a jar. And what remains is what we remember and what we do with it. The flesh is gone, but the memories, of course, live on. Our family were fortunate, uh, I suppose, of all the people listening to Nigel take the tapes. Maybe we were one of the few 
that had the opportunity to meet the Lennons. We spent the day with John and Yoko Lennon in San Francisco at the Stanford Court. My first article, Why Was Martha Mitchell Kidnapped About Watergate, had just come out that week, and they called immediately to Carmel and invited us to spend the day with them. Uh, we were Beatles fans from the time he first came with the others to Ed Sullivan's program, and we took our children to Candlestick Park for their very, we didn't know it'd be their last concert, but we took them October 29th in 1966, and they left and went to Great Britain, and that was the last time the group was seen together. We also took all our children in.